A 10-story, 23-piece of a Chinese rocket's going to crash into Earth sometime this weekend, but nobody knows where. Clearly, we know the answer has to be Cleveland, because Cleveland just had the NFL draft. The Browns had a great draft, it looks like. And, uh, Spencer, your Cleveland Indians are in first place. There is no doubt that rocket is heading towards us. That's our Cleveland Indians, not my Cleveland Indians. But, uh, (laughs) yeah, man, that's crazy. Uh, If it doesn't hit Cleveland, it can hit the road to my office. Instead, I would like to take tomorrow off, so that would be great. Um, it's pretty exciting, man. Five in a row feels pretty good. Yeah, five in a row. By the way, I'm Justin Latta, Spencer Carlson. This is Smoke Signals. Uh, follow me at JL underscore baseball. Follow Spencer at SC or SC Carlson 29. Official underscore IBI on Twitter. Um, yeah, this is a, this is a great week. You know, they beat it's been a, it's been a what, 10 days or 14 days since you and I did a podcast. Last week we had the the Farm Report podcast returning, which, by the way, for those listening, um, we're going to try to give you two podcasts a week. It's going to be one minor league-focused podcast on either Monday or Tuesday, and then Spencer and I or somebody else will give you one on Thursday or Friday, or I'm sorry, Wednesday or Thursday for the Tribe. So, yeah, the last time we talked – Remember, remember the thing we were talking about was we were guessing whether or not the Indians would finish the month of April at 500. And Spencer, they went 12 and 12. We both said they'd be what a game below or a game above 500. They'd be right there, didn't we? Yeah, I mean, not to say that we're Nostradamus of everything, but we've called a handful of things so far this season besides our World Series picks. But uh, yeah, man, we called 12 and 12. I'm, I'm not going to say who I picked for the World Series. I'm just going to say it's looking pretty bad right now. Just say it. On, on both ends. No, I picked the Padres. The Padres are doing fine. Yeah, Padres look great. That's who I had also. Yeah, the Twins are the twins are looking really good. They're making me look really good. They're 11-19. They are, they are two games, three games above Detroit right now. They're in fourth place. It looks really good for the Twins. Yeah. That's good for the Indians, though. So let's just kind of run down things, and we'll get we'll get to the KC series because the KC KC series is what happened, and um, that was obviously the fun thing. So the Yankee series obviously didn't go well. We talked about that. Uh, the Indians allowed the Yankees bats to wake up. You had you know Rugnet Odor and Giancarlo Stanton, all these guys that were not hitting the ball, hit the crap out of the ball in Cleveland. Um, the only highlight of that series was a salvaging the win on Sunday of that series. That was Sam Hench's first win of his career. I got to say, we can talk about this later, but uh, Sam Hench is in the rotation now for the time being, and I'm, I'm still not really – I'm not hype on Sam Hench's quite yet, but we can get to that later. I think the fun thing is this all started – You know, they, they took two or three from Minnesota, they took two or three from the White Sox, and they just swept Kansas City. And I'm not saying it's because of him, and he hasn't even hit – statistically all that well, but that Minnesota series last Friday, they started out with, or was it Tuesday? They started out with Cesar Hernandez leading off. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that's why, but um, I think that's pertinent to the situation. I think that just had to happen because they were, they were floating through, you know, Daniel Johnson led off in Chicago in one game because Hernandez was hurt. And and we've had a Rosario and Ben Gamble and, 
Andres Jimenez. It's been it's been a mess at yeah. leadoff. Yeah, I think even if going to the future too, if they could solidify that uh, two spot and you know somehow we're able to move Naylor to like seven, I actually quite like the one through seven Indians lineup through a long season. Um, but moving Cesar up uh, has been actually beneficial to them. I mean, he was three for five today, so getting on base is huge. Uh, considering that it seems like the Indians actually have a ton of power this year, randomly. Uh, got Fran Mill on pace for 40 and Jose on pace for 50 here early in May. So uh, it's actually fun to see a little bit because usually we don't have that. But, you know, they're winning baseball games and they're just doing it, you know, the way baseball is today. The pitchers are striking people out and the guys are hitting the long ball. Yeah, I mean, you've had different guys in the lineup hit for power. There's Reyes, there's Luplo, Naylor's coming into some power. I think he's like second or third in the league in doubles, and now he's got a homer. Uh, Cesar Hernandez, by the way, the last uh, seven games, uh, 250 average, but a 344 OBP, and that's what matters. He's got a 429 slug. If he hits 250, if he has that 340 OBP, he can stay in a leadoff position all year. Right. When you you have a guy who's a switch hitter who sets the table, and Hernandez is not a, a burner. He's He's stolen his fair share of bases in his career, but he's not really a, a major threat to run as he probably once was. He's okay, uh, but he's but he's a solid base runner. He's not a base clogger. And when you can, if you can get on base thirty four percent of the time out of the leadoff spot as a switch hitter, that's so key. Especially when you know I know Jordan Luplo's batting average is still below two hundred, but his OPS is still over eight hundred, which is good. And then you have Ramirez who's locked in, and then you have Rosario who's starting to heat up. Um, who, by the way, I looked this up the other day. Rosario has a career 72 weighted runs created plus in the month of April of his career. And it's like 117 in May for his career. And so far, it's 145 in May uh, in 2021. So Eddie Rosario, uh, definitely a guy who heats up when the weather gets better. And then you have Fran Reyes in the middle of the order, who's been really good so far. That's That's a nice one through four. Yeah, uh, if Luplo can kind of work through, they uh, they're like a hitter or two way, staying a little bit more consistent between like having one through seven, and they can just have Jimenez and Perez down at the bottom of the order. I mean, they're about you know just a little more consistency. Like I still think Luplo is an everyday player, so like that's one of them. And if they can figure out the first base situation, you know they might have something here. Uh, if they can get you know a little bit of the starting pitching rustiness at the bottom of the rotation figured out. Uh, it's a little bit more beneficial than I thought two weeks ago. But I also, in the back of my mind, and you and I have talked about this on the podcast before, I just didn't see the hype in the AL Central because I really just didn't see the pitching. Now, I also didn't expect Lucas Giolito to have like some of the bad starts that he's had in Chicago. But, uh, you know, you go through Kansas City and Minnesota and Detroit, you know, that's like – 60 games a year against very below average starting pitching. Yeah. I mean, Detroit's got a lot of young arms. They're still throwing guys out there that like uh, Jose Arrhenia, who actually has been terrible, but Minnesota's pitching has a bunch of randoms that are like four fives, you know, Michael Pineda and uh, I think Matt Shoemaker's in the rotation. Is that mm-hmm. right? Like that's great. You know, they're, they're trying to throw a bunch of guys out there that are, are not really, Playoff caliber rotation arms. Not even close. Uh, 
which is why, you know, obviously I thought they were an easy World Series pick. <laughs> I thought their offense was going to carry. I really did. We'll see. It's a, it's a long season, but they don't look good so far. And, and it's given Cleveland some time to figure out their pitching. I mean, look, Logan Allen's back in AAA, and he got shelled again tonight as we're recording this Thursday. I think he was charged for seven runs in a couple innings. I mean, it wasn't good. Um, definitely not the guy that pitched in spring training. And once again, it proves that spring training stats are completely meaningless. They're, they mean about as much as your, you know, your middle school transcript at this point. Like that's, that's, it's, it's great to look at, but you know, when you get to high school and college, that's where you really do the real learning and he's not really uh, done much with it. I, I don't, I still, like I said, I still don't know how I feel about Sam Hatch's rotation. He, he started a game in Kansas city this week and they won. He didn't start. Phil Maton served as the opener. He came out of the bullpen. But look, he threw like 60-odd pitches, and he got one swing and miss on the curveball. For a guy who throws 95, 96, and can touch 98, um, it's it's a it's a below-average fastball in terms of how it works against hitters. And I have some serious concerns about that spot. I have serious concerns about Tristan McKenzie and, and Sam Hedges. I, I have no – obviously, there's no concerns about Bieber. Uh, Zach Plesak last week, it looks like he finally figured out the White Sox, right? He got a win against the White Sox. And by the way, Spencer, he was hitting 95 in that start. I don't think that gun was juiced. So that's a that's a new development for Zach Plesak. Yeah. Uh, they started relaxing some of the mask laws around the United States. So Zach Plesak is automatically better again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> um <laughs> yeah, I mean, apparently the only people who had his number was the White Sox early on, so hopefully he figured it out. Um, I still like McKenzie a lot out of anybody. Uh, I mean, had the is what it is. I was completely wrong on Logan Allen. Uh, you know, I, I bit into the sauce a little bit on the spring training numbers, but I was also going off just like Major League Service time and like, okay, this guy hasn't done anything yet. But his command that he had in spring training just completely disappeared when the season started. So um, if you you know if you're in hitters counts all the time and you don't have that velocity and you don't have that strikeout pitch, then it's really going to hurt no matter if you're left-handed or right-handed. Yeah, he does have the strikeout pitch, and he's obviously got good control. But you're right; it's the command. He's he's leaving a lot of pitches that are way too over the middle of the plate. The fastball's not playing up, and the slider is, is okay, but he was hanging some. I still think he'll get back. I mean, he, again, he's 23. He's got like 50 career – not even 50 career major league innings or something. So he'll be back. There's no reason to give up on him now. Although, I will say, if somebody if somebody claims that spot while he's trying to figure out in AAA, you, you've got to run with that guy. Like Tristan McKenzie uh, today against the Royals as the Indians won 4 to nothing. He – Saved his spot. I think that I don't think he was close to going to the AAA, but that start against the White Sox was really concerning. Like he, he was great in that first inning. I thought his fastball up in the zone looked really good and he was getting, getting it by hitters. And that was really exciting to see him get swings and misses with it, even though he was topping out at 92, 93. And then, you know, he just had walks. He had six walks, six strikeouts and seven runs allowed and like one hit. Cause it was a grand slam. Right. It was just a weird, a weird line, but he definitely rebounded today. I still have concerns about the velocity, um, but his command was better today. And there's nobody else to take a spot. Like, who's going to start behind him? Is it going to be Jim Carlos Mejia? Is it going to be Scott Moss? 
is it going to be Eli Morgan? Like those guys just, I, I don't think are better options, even though I still think, I, I still think this is somewhat of a developmental year. They have to get guys developed. Well, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely in a place where if they're still in first place or second place or really good in the wild card, like if they're in good place here in July, things obviously change. It's still a development year, but it also comes down to like, if it keeps floating upon a process in like June and July where, you know, like four and five is not figured out or like first base isn't figured out, you know, this team is not against going to get a veteran who's going to end up being like a free agent at the end of the year. So it could be one of those ordeals if they're still in it, if they're not in it, then you'll probably see a lot of like the Scott Mosses of the world and Logan Allen back up and just random starts down there at the bottom of the year. If like McKenzie can't figure it out. Yeah, there are guys. I, you know, I think we'll see them all. You know, you need. They're only using their six starters so far. I really, I, I won't lie. So. I won't lie. I really don't see them going towards random development starts if they're still in it late July. No, I agree. I mean, those if they're if they're in first place or they're even like a game out of the wild card, let's say they're still going to go with the guy who gives them the best option, rather than you know saying, well, we got to get this guy a start, like. Like some people were saying, oh, should they have gotten a veteran arm for the offseason? Like, was letting go of Adam Plutko a bad idea? And maybe, like, maybe right now Plutko would have been a better option than Logan Allen or Sam Henches. But I would say that they're still competing right now. And while they're competing, I still think they're better served going with McKenzie until and 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 Sam Henches and whoever else in that spot if they go to somebody else. I'm still I think they're better served doing that than they are. Adam Plutko or Josh Tomlin or any other veteran starter like that's out there. Like I still think that's the better way to go because this is what they wanted to do all along. They wanted to contend. They said that we, we, te- we, we intend to connect contend this year, but they're also going to develop young players. And this is the best, this is the best scenario for them. Right. Is being in a competitive race and still playing Andre Simenez, still playing Josh Naylor, um, still pitching Tristan McKenzie, still pitching, uh, there are three relievers that are rookies right now, and I guess four if you want to include Kyle Nelson at one point. Yeah, um, I saw that Kyle Nelson was in room for relief uh, with Logan Allen's terrible start tonight. I'm ready for that guy to stay up here and see what he can give us out of the bullpen. If you're not a big believer uh, on Hentages, um, what else was I going to say? Uh with McKenzie's velocity. Oliver Perez is gone. I mean, he had to get back to the uh, nursing home. Ooh. Yeah. Um, with uh, McKenzie's velocity, and I haven't done a deep dive into it because I've been a little bit busy with work. Why do you think his velocity has dipped early on? You think it's just due to the lack of innings, the injuries? What do you think? I'm not sure. I don't. I, I think every pitcher, I think it's so important. We've, I think Corey Kluber – is the guy that really made me realize this is that you have to have a good routine to get you in position to pitch every five days and be the best you can. And that is what the Indians lauded Corey Kluber for so much is that he was ready to, to be the best version of himself every fifth day out there. They could count on him to be to go out there and be prepared. And I'm not, I'm not saying Tristan McKenzie's not, but I'm saying, maybe there is still some tweaks he needs to find in his room. You know, he's searching for that right routine. That's going to make him as good as he can be and reach his potential. I don't know if that's it, but I wonder if it is part of it. He's just searching for that, 
that extra kick, that extra gear, getting his body yeah, ready. I mean, to, it, it's. I, I mean, I don't necessarily ever think he has to sit up at ninety five, but I mean, there's a huge difference specifically. I think for him, if he can command the ball a little bit better between ninety two and ninety three, and then consistently hit it sitting ninety three and ninety four. So if he can find that little bit of extra juice and work it out mechanically, or find the right warm up for him, and he can actually pitch consistently and not have you know injuries come into effect or short pitch counts, then he might actually become a more effective pitcher. It's another one of just a guy being young and who's also been injured. Yeah, the injury plays a part, and it's you know it's his body type. It just is what it is, right? Like that's what, what I, I don't even know if adding. <laughs> He's saying he weighs one hundred forty pounds. He weighs one hundred. He supposedly weighs one hundred and seventy. Maybe he does. No, I don't know. That's what keeps telling I me. Was, the guy. Wait, hold on. Sorry, sorry to interrupt. But I was at the Yankees game uh, when he came in, and I saw him warming up. He is not one hundred and seventy pounds. <laughs> yeah, he might be. I don't know. One hundred fifty-five, one hundred sixty. Yeah, maybe. But I don't know if the weight necessarily matters for him. I think it's just he has got to condition himself. I, you know, he's. He's obviously trying to condition himself to throw the whole season because this could be his first full season he's ever pitched. Like, you remember, this guy is not is not pitched over 120 innings uh, in a season before. You know, it could just be how he's preparing his body. He's trying to get over the long haul versus being good for, you know, four or five starts and then totally hitting the wall. And, and he may still hit that wall regardless because he's young and because, you know, he is still searching for that routine. And he does have a thinner body type. Um, and, and you're right. There's there's a big difference between going 90 to 92, touching 93, to being 92, 94 consistently, and, and touching 95. He's not even really touching 95 oh. right now. I think if he can if he can settle into that 92, 94 range instead of dipping the 90, 92, I think it's a different story for him. I know what, that seems a very, a very trivial difference in velocity, but there's a lot of studies out there that that show the success of pitchers by velocity and, and every mile or two an hour yeah. that you jump up with your fastball, it's, it, it reduces your, your margin for error. And that's still what he needs right now. I also think we have to, he has to stop pitching with this fastball so much. I think today, I think today he had more swings and misses on his slider on like, I think, okay. So he threw five, he threw seven slider or he got seven swings against the slider and, the Royals uh, swung and missed five times. He got three swings and misses against 29 swings on his fastball. So throw the slider more, throw the curveball more, reduce your fastball usage if that's a problem because the other pitches get swings and misses. They're good pitches. So maybe maybe it's just he's throwing the fastball too much. Maybe that's a problem. I mean, that's just a definition of a young pitcher just throwing instead of pitching. So maybe he just has to you know, figure that part out of his game. Uh, but like you said, with his velocity going up, especially with how long he is, like how much he has in stride, like that will be beneficial even if he can get that extra tick or two in his miles per hour on his fastball. Yeah, I will say he at ninety ninety two. Let's let's. I don't. I don't have to. I have to look this up because there are are people smarter than me on doing studies on this. But I would imagine that if he's throwing ninety two, the perceived velocity because of his wingspan and his long arms. But that probably looks more like 94 to hitters. That's my whole point. 
Right. So if he if he if he can touch ninety five, that probably looks more like ninety six to ninety seven, and that again increases your margin for error. So it doesn't take a lot for his fastball to have a lot of utility and and effectiveness if he just is able to tick it up a mile an hour more in the meantime. So there are still little tweaks. I, I, I still think the future is really bright for him. I have concerns about how, how deep and how many innings he could pitch, but he's clearly their fourth best option in the organization to pitch every fifth day. That's, there's no doubt about that. Uh, we'll see about henches. Uh, man, this Kansas city series, by the way, <laughs> just had everything. Like it had everything you would want out of a baseball series. Like, Okay, first for the Indians specifically, they came back and won. I think in almost every game. This has been the ever since that Yankee series when they came back in the last game. Never, never, never game one and two of the Yankee series. Um, the the Indians scored first and then blew it. So the Yankees scored first on Sunday and the Indians came back to win. And since then, that's been kind of their theme. So you had comeback wins in Kansas City. Um, they won a start from Shane Bieber that. Probably wasn't his best start. I think that's safe to say. Uh, the bullpen was phenomenal, and the umpiring was absolutely hilarious. That's about <laughs> the best way I can put it. It was uh, a. <laughs> can, can I? Uh, I have a take that I wanted to say about the umpiring because I didn't get to be in the whole Twitter fiasco with everybody else. Can I say <laughs> that I like Ainhill Hernandez for us? specific reason you know why because he unifies baseball and how much everyone freaking hates him he unifies (laughs) baseball he you could get a uh uh a super statistical baseball nerd like you and i and an old timer and you could both put down your guns and hold hands in peace and hate on hell hernandez so he needs to stay in the sport and be an umpire because he gets calls wrong, people get mad, and it is absolutely hilarious how we unify together on Twitter. It is. The enemy of I am an enemy is still not my friend, but <laughs> that is that is a good point. It was it was hilarious. But it was so and, and, you, funny. Know what, you know what was even funnier? It wasn't hilarious that everyone got mad at him because he had absolutely no idea what happened, just guessed on that call on right field. Right. And if you're living if you're living under a rock, the call we're referencing is um, Josh Neal and Harold Ramirez, which I can't wait to talk about Harold Ramirez in a second. Um, they converge on a fly ball in right center field. Nobody caught it. Angel Hernandez said he lost it in the lights and he had to make a guess on what happened based on the player's reaction to the ball. And it was Naylor throwing it in. And he thought it was a catch. Therefore, therefore Andrew Benintendi should have been on at second base because Angel Hernandez thought he was being doubled off because the ball in right field was caught, but it was not caught. And nobody knew that except for maybe the Indians or because even the Royals third base coach wasn't watching. He was watching Angel Hernandez. So he could tell Ben and if he had to go back or not. Um, and it wasn't caught and Hernandez or Ben and was caught in no man's land. He was tagged out anyway. So either way, Ben and was out, but instead Angel Hernandez decided that he should get third base because Angel Hernandez screwed up. That's hilarious. But the funniest part of this is that he called a balk on Brady Singer the next night because he was the home plate umpire, and it was the right call. It Absolutely was a balk. Right it was a balk. And Mike Matheny and Cal Eldred and then eventually Brady Singer absolutely lost their minds on him. So 
you know, Terry Francona did not blow up on the field at the missed call by Angel Hernandez, which was very, a very bad call. But Mike Matheny and Cal Eldrin and Brady Singer all get run up because they're arguing a call that Angel Hernandez got right. Like, he actually got a call right. And the, the other team got so mad that he got a call right, they got thrown out. That's that's just peak Angel Hernandez right there. It, I mean, it's hilarious to have such an impression on baseball that you're probably going to blow a call that when you get it right, they're still enraged. I mean, that is just a hilarity in itself. And honestly, like, shout out to him because it took me a double take on the video to catch the Bach in slow motion. So he saw it when no one else did, and he got the call right. And I tell you what. Bachs are hard. <laughs> and I kind of, I was kind of like looking – I was reading through the quotes today uh, uh, with Matheny and uh, Singer and everything else. No one admitted that the call was wrong in the quotes. So I think they went back and looked at it, and they're like, oh, guys, like we – we argued this call, but it was actually right because <laughs> they didn't say anything about it. They just kept mentioning how uh, Hernandez was a bad umpire, and how are you always the one involved in this? <laughs> he he is always the center of attention. I mean, I guess Jim Joyce, even Jim Joyce, like Jim Joyce, had that one bad call, obviously with Andres Galarraga on the, uh, the the perfect game that should have been what perfect game, but. It, <laughs> Yeah, I guess not. The Andres Galarraga game, the one hitter, the Jason, the Jason Donald one hitter. Um, I don't know. Outside of, I can't think of any other umpire that's just this bad. Like, there's no other umpire. There are there are, there are bad umpires. The, the, the home plate strike zone. I for, I don't know who the umpire was the night before Angel Hernandez. So this would have been what Tuesday. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the umpire was that night, but his strike zone was horrendous. Um, but we don't know his name, well, which tells you. So random random question. Uh, with Angel Hernandez, uh, would John Boy have any content to make with videos if Angel Hernandez were ever to be fired? I think his business model would be significantly reduced. Significantly, <laughs> yeah, that's like half his content. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. I think he has to hope that he keeps his job. I mean, some if Angel Hernandez keeps his job, somebody's got to do what he's got to do, and. It's just so un- unbelievable to me that on any podcast, not just ours, but like if you listen to any baseball podcast, ever, I'm sure ever, almost all of them this week talked about Angel Hernandez. And what umpire do you know that makes it onto a podcast almost a couple times a year? Like there's not another umpire. I, I don't even know the name of like five other umpires at the top of my head. I was going to say, it would be only him and like Joe West. Yeah, Joe West. Like I know who Jordan Baker is. I don't really know who a lot of other umpires are off the top of my head. Like that's that's the problem with Adrian Hernandez is that you know his Honestly, name too much. If you're if you're a major league umpire, you want to be the most unknown name in baseball. You could work for forty years, but you don't want your name known. Right, and that's the problem with Um Show. Like clearly, Adrian Hernandez. I don't know if he likes the attention or what, but um, he's the only one that gets talked about on podcast. I guarantee you consistently anyway so that was funny um so yeah he got the, the i think i people thought that Matheny was mad about a hit by pitch call on jose ramirez that probably wasn't hit by pitch and the balk just kind of blew things up but uh he did say later that it was just the balk he didn't say anything, anything about the hit by pitch but maybe he was keeping that to himself they never um, even I, I mean i read all the quotes they never mentioned that they got the balk call wrong not and they like interviewed all three people 
and that were thrown out and they were just like, yeah, no one mentioned that the balk was wrong. I think they went back and looked at it and they're like, oh boy, we probably should have argued the Jose Ramirez thing instead because we didn't actually argue the right thing here. Well, that's because Mike Matheny is not really a great manager, right? Get out. That's why he's in. (laughs) Boy, the AL Central, man, it's just got some, like, AJ Hinch obviously won a World Series with the Astros. We don't know how legitimate that was based on the trash can thing. Uh, Terry Francona is, you know, usually has his team playing well, even if he draws the ire for some things. Um, That's, I guess, that's another another topic for another day. He does. There are still some things that are worth griping about. The Yale Central's just got to, except for, I think, I would say Rocco Baldelli is the most progressive manager in the, in the league. You're, not, in the, tell, in you're the, not telling me uh, Tony La Russa isn't working out in Chicago? Oh, man. It's it's looking. Did you see what happened the other day? I did. did you see? I did. It was extra innings. or well, Yeah, it was extra innings. So because they lost their pitcher in the game, they had lost their DH. They had to put the, or they had to have uh, their pitcher bat and Liam Hendricks apparently batted for some reason because of this and he had to go be the runner on second in the ten in the uh tenth inning because he made the last out in the ninth. And there's a rule that says that if your pitcher was the last out that you're the batter before him could be the pit could be the runner on second to start the extra innings. And apparently not only did Tony Russo not know that, but apparently nobody on the White Sox bench knew it because they allowed Liam Hendricks to go out there and they're lucky because the way they're the way the injuries have been working for them, they're lucky that Liam Hendricks, their big price closer, uh, didn't go out there running the bases and get hurt. Like that just seemed like it was an injury waiting to happen, having your high price closer pinch run for you and he didn't have to and then end up getting hurt. Right. That's just that's hilarious. I, I don't know how they didn't how 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 do you not know that rule? I know I know it's new. For how long he's been in baseball, you think you would just ironically enough know that sooner or later? It's a, it's a new rule. I understand it's a new rule, but like he was an animal. Somebody on your bench, some like come on, dude. Uh, somebody on the bench has to know that rule. I'm sorry, you can't you can't just not know the rule. You can't. Oh uh, yeah. So. How about Josh? Uh, let's just go back to the Indians. Finally, Josh Naylor this week, I think finally he's looking like the hitter that people thought he could be. He's like I said, he's second or third in the league in doubles at this point. Uh, finally hit a home run, and man, that dinger he hit last night, uh, Wednesday it. night, 107 miles an hour off the bat. Yeah, it was a cutter in on his hands, in, and he hits it out for 107 miles an hour. Smoke that ball! I mean, that was. That's when you, when you have like the definition of beautiful pieces of hitting, like put that one up there with the uh, Mona Lisa, because that was uh, just getting your wrist around that quick and being able to get that bat speed when your hands are pulled in. I mean, that's, that was very impressive. And he seems to be breaking out of his shell here uh, and gaining some confidence. Um, and we kind of saw it coming. We said, be patient with him because, you know, he kind of ran into a little bit of bad luck early on and, uh, if he could get the launch angle figured out a little bit, maybe he'd start, you know, getting some balls in play that were effective. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah, I think he's done a good job driving the ball with the opposite field. He's letting he's letting the ball travel a little bit deeper and he's he's, you know, hitting some liners and some fly balls off left field wall into the gaps. And then obviously that home running turned on one, which is great to see for him. 
I, I still can't believe it. Like even as recently as two weeks ago, man, people were saying, got to send him down. Got to bring up Daniel Johnson. And I'm, I'm not going to knock Daniel Johnson. Cause I still think he can be a nice player, but the guy came up and hit first and second in the lineup, which that's a whole other discussion. The guy wasn't good enough to make your roster, but when he comes up, Fran Mel Reyes, while Fran Mel Reyes is on paternity leave, you're hitting him lead off in second in the order. And that's just bizarre to me. Um, but he went over seven and didn't, he looked kind of overmatched. So yeah, this is why you don't give up on 23 year old prospects like Josh Naylor for 25 year olds like Daniel Johnson who have not been up yet. Yeah. And I mean, you have like uh, the whole, I mean, honestly, I want to run back to Naylor, but like you have to give the people who, and this is going to sound contradicting because if you say go by the same right, I still think this would be an effect for Jake Bowers, but uh, you got to give people the plate appearances to show what they have. And, you know, that's those 60 plate appearances uh, in April aren't going to like indicate an entire major league career in one condensed 20 game schedule. And especially when it's cold and it's their first heavy major league experience of playing every day, you got to give these guys time. So it's like, well, you should have the faith and Daniel Johnson still being a pretty decent fourth outfielder and, Josh Naylor being an everyday ball player. And I know he went like five for 12 in uh, a handful of games. I still don't believe in him. I still think he sucks. But Jake Bowers, you know, deserves his at-bats if you were to go off of that same token. Um, So you kind of got to give the guys a chance to swing out of their funks before you ever decide to make a decision on them. Yeah, young players got to play. That's what we've been saying. You have to be patient. And And this is the thing about you know, riding the highs and trying to avoid the lows is that when you have a team that you're playing like a Josh Naylor, a, a Jake Bowers, who I'm sorry, Jake Bowers is still young. I know he's he's 25, but still young enough, and he's still inexperienced to a, to a degree. Um, the pitchers, uh, especially the guys in the starting rotation, uh, Andres Jimenez, guys like that, like this is still a young team, so you have to be patient. And if you think Naylor can be like your – I don't know, your fifth best hitter, like obviously you have Ramirez, you have Reyes, you have Rosario. That's a nice threesome right there. Uh, Luplo has been really good this year. Like if Naylor can be your your fifth or sixth best hitter, that's that could be a good piece of the lineup. And I think that's, that's what he looks like right now. So I, I don't know about Jake Bowers yet. Like I'm, you know, good for him. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're seeing the, seeing some success, you know, allows him to relax a little bit and gain some confidence and his swings have looked better. That's about all I can give you is like his swings have looked better. He looks like a little less unsure of himself at the plate. Like I think in April you watched him swing and he just, he was swinging at bad pitches. He was taking fastballs on the middle because he, he was unsure of what to do. And now he just looks like, I don't know. He at least has some semblance of a a plan that he's following along in the at bat and he's thinking with the pitcher. That's, that's about all I really have on him. And yeah, I mean, Bobby Bradley's not off to a great start. Triple A. Yeah. I mean, well, I think we got to give up on the whole Bobby Bradley thing. I think we could definitely use some other external internal options to talk about with first base instead of the whole Bobby Bradley versus uh, Jake Bowers situation. But I think with Jake Bowers is like, he has ran through minor consistent times where he has had a ton of success on a major league level, but they've been in spurts. And then he follows those spurts with just another horrendous, you know, 20, 40, 60, 80 at-bats. 
So are you going to take the 19 for 56 that is followed by the 12 for, you know, 70? Like those are the type of things that happen. Like you'll hit 470 or 350 in the hot spurt and then hit for the cycle. And kind of like what he did the other, you know, last couple of games, he's five for 12. And then you go through the one for 27. I don't know if you necessarily can you really count on a guy like that if they're going to go with the hot and the cold all the time. Yeah, but I mean, look, two weeks ago when we last talked, we were laughing so hard because the Atlanta Braves pitchers had a better way to run. In our defense, that's still that's still funny. It's you know, it's still hilarious that it happened because that if you're if you're a major league hitter, a position player, that should never happen unless it's we're talking like a a three game sample size, like the most, not over not over the course of like forty at bats. That shouldn't happen if you're a major league hitter. Um, but now he's he's brought that up, so we'll see how it goes there. Which I think brings us to our first question. We've got some questions tonight from some listeners. Um, somebody asked the Jake Bowers question. Let's see who was it. I thought somebody asked the Jake Bowers question. Get out, man. Check it out here. Oh, here we go. Um, how long are they going to wait to try? <laughs> Glenn Longwell asked, how long are they going to wait before they drag up the husk of Albert Pujols to platoon first base with Jake Bowers and move Chang back to Columbus? Ooh. Also, with Jimenez playing so poorly, is there a chance that he goes down for a med or Arias getting a shot at shortstop maybe by June? All right. That's just funny. I It's a good David Goliath right there. <laughs> Jake Bowers and Albert Pujols. Jake Bowers and Albert Pujols platoon. Wow. I don't know. I mean, on one hand, you know, I said earlier today, I kind of poo-pooed everyone's like, oh, the Indians should do this. And I'm like, I would rather just have Owen Miller put in with Jake Bowers or just call up Owen Miller to play first base Agreed. or anybody or, or move, or move Naylor to first base and put any of the outfields in AAA and right field, whether it's Johnson or Mercado or Zimmer or not Ben Gamble. Um, it can't be Ben, ben Gamble. He got designated for assignment. He just got DFA'd. But – I'm going to say this. This is a very young team, and they're only, I, th- I think the team is going to keep getting younger. If Al- – okay. Jason Giambi, uh, Mike Napoli, veteran first baseman that were big helps to their clubs. You know, the Indians probably don't make that wild card run without Jason Giambi in 2013. There's no chance in hell they, they go to the World Series without Mike Napoli. I don't know. why. Why It might be a waste of a roster spot, but for the veteran minimum, for a guy like Albert Pujols, if he can come in and be a veteran leader on this team and maybe help show some young guys the way and platoon with, with Jake Bowers, why the hell not? Like Maybe. If he's a good clubhouse influence, I'm not against it. I'm in total. The 26 man roster. I'm in total agreement. Um, I think, I think it'd be kind of fun because there's just there's that lack of, you know, just the old Wiley veteran. I mean, you're running off basically Brian Shaw right now, uh, and I mean maybe Eddie Rosario. I'm trying to think of the guys who are in their 30s on this team. Um, I mean, not that I'm the advocacy of here saying that we need veteran leadership on this team, but it helps. Like Mike Napoli was huge for that 2016 team, whether people like it or not. 
Um, and I've been on this other train with, I'm glad he brought up this question with like the platoon. Um, I don't necessarily see it being a platoon option, but considering how terrible this team, this guy's been on forever and he's his last year of his contract. And I've tweeted about it a couple times. If the Rangers still suck, you at least have to make a call for Joey Gallo, right? Oh, absolutely. Sure. Why not? To play first base? That's what I mean. Yeah. I mean, you have to. If it gets there, he's still young enough. Yeah, if it's July and he's 20-something home runs deep and the Rangers are far out of it, which they most likely will be, and the Indians are hanging around, you have to make that phone call. Yeah. So as for the pool holes thing, I, I, I'm going to say this for the pool holes thing. I, I laughed at this when I saw the question and I la- I said no to everybody. I had a couple people send me this today saying, why not try this? Why not try it? Um, it, It's a small sample size, but pool holes this year does have a 146 way to run create a plus mark against lefties. It's 43 against right handers. So clearly he doesn't hit right handers well anymore. He still hits left handers. Um, You know, it, I, <laughs> The only way it could work is if you don't let Tito carry an eight, a nine-man bullpen. You have to go to an eight-man bullpen because the reason it works with a nine-man bullpen is because Yu Chang can play first, second, third, and short. So you would need to get rid of a leader. Well, that's, and that, you would need to, to, that leads into another question that we had with the, the super utility, if you want to bring up that question. Yeah, let's go on to that. So VJ Goff said, asked, uh, do you think super, super sub role is completely off the table with Rosario with Chang – Bowers and 40% of the rotation struggling when maintaining 14 pitchers and having a super sub make more sense for the club right now. And it would, I agree. Um, Chang is struggling. Bowers is, has been struggling all year, save for recently. Um, Rosario has played center and shortstop uh, simultaneously at times in the same game, not, not, you know, at the same time, that'd be pretty amazing, but um, in the same game, I guess he could be your super sub. And you can send Chang down, but especially what, while you're hanging on to Harold Ramirez, which I still want to talk about that. Um, yeah, you need you need a you do need a super utility guy on the team to make up for if you're going to have Albert Pujols, and I still think you need to send a reliever down if you're going to do that. I mean, you could. I mean, if you send a re, let's say you send a reliever down and you bring on Albert Pujols, and then you send down Yu Chang and bring up Owen Miller. And then Rosario goes into just a different, like, I'm going to play short one day, second the next day, and then out in the outfield when the guy needs a day off. You're really not losing anything on the roster there. You're not. I don't know. People, I, well, obviously, Fools is not Giamp, or not Napoli. Napoli had a great first half, and obviously he fell apart in the second half, and he was not good in the playoffs. But um, he was at least a 30 home run hitter who contributed every day for the most part. Jason Giambi was obviously a pinch hitter who, you know, 90% of his value came in the locker room. Right. Um, and he had, he hit, I mean, he hit a couple fun home runs, you know, they were really fun home runs. Some of the most fun I've ever had watching. Um, so pools could do the same if he's a good influence in the clubhouse. I don't know. Like I said, I, I laughed at the idea earlier today, but you know what? I'm not, I'm, if they do it, I'm not against it because this team is young. I, I think of the things that he could, he could do to help. So it is. You have to combine this through three years, obviously, because he got, he got DFA'd for, or got cut from the angels 
the pandemic year and then his last full year with the Angels. But in his last 700 at-bats, Pujols has hit 235 with 34 home runs and 127 RBIs and 60 walks. Like, there's still a spot for that on this baseball team. That's his last I have to. I'd have to go back. I would have to go back deeper into the last how many at-bats to see what he's doing against left-handers. I think, I think the only solution is to play him against left-handers. I don't right, think and that's fine. If you're platooning him against lefties and letting Jake Bowers hit righties, I have no. I honestly have no issue with that at all. And it allows for yeah, the occasional Brando Reyes day off. Yeah, or you know what? Just put Fran Mill Reyes in right field for one day. Jeez, is it that hard? That, yeah, like you know. if you're willing, yeah. if you're willing to play Josh Naylor in right field next to Harold Ramirez. Okay, by the way, I didn't think about this until just now, but the outfield this week has been Eddie Rosario, who's not really a great defender, Harold Ramirez, who's not a center fielder, and Josh Naylor, who's not an outfielder. That is a bad defensive outfield. That's fine because they hit the they, they all they all hit this week, so it doesn't that's matter. A first place baseball team, it, Justin. It's, it is a first place team. That's unbelievable. But if you're willing to do that, why can't Framel Reyes play right field? I think you have a lot of guys who can play multiple positions, and then if not, you have some depth at some other positions that allows for days off. Like, yeah, you'll probably run out 97 different lineups this year, but who cares? You at least know you have availability everywhere. All right. Albert Pujols, by the way, has not been a above average league hitter uh, since 2016. But here is his OPS. Yeah, here's the lefty split. So in 2018, his OPS against left-handers was 674. That's not good. No. Um, that's that's not playable. But in 2019, it was 830. That's That'll play. And this year it's eight seventy eight. Yeah, I I'd be willing to take a chance for a few. That's the problem. If you, if you do that, are you willing to try it for like how long are you willing to try for if you're going to do something like that? Like thirty if days. Just, Why not? Yeah, I guess I guess so. You don't you don't owe anything to the guy if you're the only team out there trying to sign him. I guess you don't owe him anything except a try. And if it doesn't work, you know, yes, I guess sorry. He has, he has both. 670 doubles and 670 home runs in his career. That is insane. Yeah. All right. So Spencer and I both agree maybe there's a role on the Indians for Albert Pujols after all. That's hilarious. Um, I don't know. I don't know if his presence can teach Jake Bowers anything, but maybe it can. You know, but I think I think of the effect someone like that could have on Josh Naylor positively. Um, and if you bring up more young guys and he's around, you know, it, 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 Jason Giambi had a major effect on Jason Kipnis, on um, other young guys in that club, Michael Brantley. Like those guys carried those lessons with them throughout their years in Cleveland. And if you're if you're going to bring up an Owen Miller at some point, or even 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 if you move on from Jake Bowers and you you put Bobby Bradley at first base at some point, or Nolan Jones, you know, you have maybe you have an Albert Pujols around to kind of mentor him, and that that. That could pay dividends down the road, as, and even as soon as this year. So maybe that's possible. I don't know. That's wild. That's wild to think about. Um, Jose Ramirez clearly doesn't need anybody's guidance because Jose Ramirez is getting better. He has almost as many home runs as strikeouts. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's ridiculous. Oh, my Lord, dude. He is. I, 
I got to look. I got to look. Jose Ramirez has nine home runs. And how many strikeouts does he have? I think he has 10 or 11. He's got 13. So he has nine. Okay, he has 12, 13. He has 14 extra base hits, 15 walks, and 13 strikeouts. So he has more extra base hits and more walks and strikeouts. And he's a perfect four for four in steals this year. I love when he's uh, getting better. I love when High Heat just tweets like, and this is almost daily at this point. You're like, this is what Jose Ramirez has done in his last 162 games. Those always crack me up. Um, I te- I texted you last night, but currently the pace he's going at, he's currently on pace to hit, and he might not. I mean, he'll probably flame out a little bit, but like being going on this early on to be on pace for 51 home runs means that he's off to a really good start. And and typically April has not been his best month, so. We'll see. I think I think his his approach to the plate is just so good at this point. Like he just he goes up there, and I see people talking about this on Twitter. I see uh, I see Mike Hattery and Travis Sawcheck and uh, Gage Will talking about this his approach at the plate, and he just waits out pitchers. Like he he'll he'll be patient all game, waiting for a guy to throw him a cookie, and he doesn't care if it's the fourth at bat. Like he'll he'll wait to get that fastball, and then he does what he did against the. Kansas City right. this week on the fastball and tie the game. And, and wait, I mean, you can't, I think, uh, like I said, Mike Hatter and Gage Will both said, you can't just not throw the guy a fastball. Like at some point, if he waits you out, you got to give in. But it's amazing that anybody ever gives anything Jose Ramirez to, to hit Honestly. because it's a mistake. Well, that's the same. It, same same goes to Fran Reyes for the simple fact is he doesn't have that same hitter ability. But when the ball just touches Framil Reyes' bat, I, I mean, I don't know if he's ever had the exit velocity that's ever been below average. The ball just smokes off his bat. It doesn't matter if it's a ground out or a home run. Yeah, the guy's having a ridiculous year, too, and he's he's getting better, I think, too. He's, he's been a little more patient lately. I want to see the walks go up, but that 3-4-5 right now of, of Ramirez, Rosario, and Reyes is Good. super dynamic, and Good. I'm, I'm – that's that that alone is going to make this team watchable. If those guys are, if those guys all play up to their potential, that alone makes this team watchable. Um, what do you what do you got on Harold Ramirez? Should the Indians just rename their team to the Cleveland Ramirez's? Hey man, exit velocity matters. No, say, that does not nerd. Exit velocity does not matter. You are a nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know how long this is going to last with this guy. I really don't. Um, he hits a lot of balls into the ground. But you know what? The guys had a ton of big hits this week. They would not have won that series without him. Absolutely not. And if you would have, if I would have said to you, Spencer, that, hey, the Indians are going to sweep the Royals uh, in a four-game series in Kansas City, and they won't be able to do it without Harold Ramirez, what would you have said back in spring training if I had said that? Uh, you're crazy. Because, I mean, he was picked up last second, and I didn't even think he was going to make this roster. I texted you when it happened. I said, can't body, question mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was like, I don't I don't know what he was, what they were doing. But, hey, the guy hits the crap out of the ball. And if that finds enough holes, then it works out. And, I, I mean, the guy's got one strikeout and no walks. I don't know if that's sustainable, but. That that takes like a Vlad Guerrero, Tony Gwynn type bat to make it work. But if he could be 
if he can be above league average as a hitter for like the next month or two, and then he falls apart, you know what? Take take the bat for all it's worth right now and ride it till it runs out. Makes sense. Can't hurt. Um, God, how about how about uh, Rene Rivera today? I don't know if you caught the game, but Rene Rivera comes in because Roberto Perez is on the IL with a fractured ring finger. Uh, that's like the one negative thing that James Karinchak has done all year besides his uh, social media posts. Um, <laughs> he broke, he broke, he broke Roberto Perez's ring finger because they got crossed up on a, a signal, which I want to know how James Karinchak gets crossed up on a signal because he only has two pitches. It's not like it's, you know, five different pitches to go through, but uh, so Perez is out for a little bit. I think it'll heal fast, hopefully, but um, guy had three hits today and then, he has he had a he had some he had a good day behind the plate too. He framed a couple strikes that um I don't think Nick Samlin probably should have got called, but it worked. And then he slides into second base on a pass ball or a wild pitch, and he's safe, but he slides so hard and so awkwardly that he comes off the base and he's thrown out. <laughs> hey man, you can't fault the 37-year-old for trying, all right? <laughs> that was just a a great example. I mean, hey, he would have been safe if he just stayed on the bag. He just a thirty-seven-year-old backup catcher is not meant to run and slide like that. <laughs> so that, that, I'll give him credit for getting that, that. That game, just like when I was watching it, like hey, this dude's thirty-seven, and this might be his one shining moment. And just like it reminds me of the movie of Field of Dreams, where they're like Moonlight Graham. You know, he didn't even get the one at bat. Well, this guy did, and he went three for five or three for four, whatever he did. <laughs> Are already a better backup catcher than Austin Hedges. <laughs> oh man, uh, how about the bullpen this week? And I, I, we'll get into this after this. Uh, a question from William Bird, uh, Birdman Et on Twitter: Is Nick Sandlin the greatest pitcher of all time? I got to tell you, man, Nick Sandlin looked dynamic. Today. He's awesome. Uh, yeah. What What did you think of him? His first two outings. He's been He's been dynamite, and I um. Speaking of another pod of other podcasts, you know Zach and those guys had mentioned. Actually, I think they had an interview with him, and they had mentioned early on in the season when he's healthy that he could be very much dynamite and have swing and miss stuff. And he's shown that coming up here. And I know in the question it was like, could this guy be a hefty part of this uh, bullpen? Uh, very much so. Uh, I mean, I know it's early on, but his pitches are effective. He's able to get swing and misses. Um, he doesn't walk people. Uh, very good couple outings he's had so far. Yeah, he was awesome today. He had a couple strikeouts. He had a ground ball double play. He had another ground ball. That's what he does. He's got, you know, he's he's not Joe Smith. He kind of is Joe Smith. Um, Joe Smith doesn't throw as hard as he does. Joe Smith was always like, you know, 89, 90, 91, but he had that nice slider and, uh, had a really tough arm angle, and and Sandlin's got a really tough arm angle too. But better, better more than that, you know, Sandlin throws up to ninety five. He throws ninety three, ninety four, and he hits ninety five as a sidearm. That's pretty rare. And not only that, but his fastball and the sinker um, both have above average spin. So we're talking like twenty four or twenty five hundred. RPM, yeah, which man. is hitting, hitting a sidearm um, at 95 is already difficult, but when it has that spin rate, I mean, it just off putting for a hitter. So like, even if he doesn't ever get swinging miss material, 
if it's not as effective as I think it is, like people are just going to pound that into the, into the ground. Right. That's, and that's the same thing with Emmanuel Classe. Emmanuel Classe is throwing 101 miles, mile an hour cutters. And, you know, he's not striking out guys like James Karinczak, but all everyone's doing is just hitting the ball on the ground every time out because you just can't lift that you pitch in the air. That's the same thing with Sandlin. No, it, it's, it's really hard. It's, it's really impossible. Um, and then Salem's got a really nice slider to boot to go with it. And he came out today. And again, that slider is, I don't, I don't know the spin efficiency on the slider because that matters with breaking balls. Um, but his slider I saw today was to about 2,800 RPM, which is like upper tier, really good. That's, that's like, that's gotta be close to the 80th or 90th percentile in spin rate, which is pretty good. Um, but man, he came out in kind of the Brian Shaw spot today. Shaw has been used a lot lately. Uh-oh. No surprise. Um, <laughs> Um, but he came out in the Brian Shaw spot today. He came out in the sixth inning with two on and immediately got a ground ball, a uh, double play, and, that, and he came back out and had a couple strikeouts. But he came out in a leverage spot in the sixth inning, and that's usually where you'd use Shaw at this moment. He looked really good. I I am really curious to see if he starts to earn Tito's trust a little bit and becomes part of the triumvirate of Shaw, Karen, Shaq, Classe. If you can add Nick Sandlin to that three, Man, how much better does that make your bullpen, especially when you can You're use... You're really going to run into if Sandlin can pitch as effective as he keeps doing and Brian Shaw continues to eat innings, or eat innings for Tito, uh, Quantrill is going to be stuck in mop-up duty for this year. Yeah, you can use Nick Whitgren and, and Cal Quantrill as like your off-night guys or you know guys that are first out of the bullpen or... Um, when you need Shaw to have a break, you can go to Sandlin. Would you, you ever believe that Quantrill had coming into camp from all of us that he would turn into mop-up guy? No, I mean, I was I was ready to gas him up, and he was going to be the starter. I still wouldn't – I would still not – look, that's that's the, uh, another good argument. If I know he hasn't been great. He's looked yeah, better we're recently. Talking, but, here's the thing is we talked about control with the other starting pitchers we've talked about today. He's no better right now. He's not. And if look, if you have a hard time getting him innings because Nick Sandlin is now a guy you have to pitch um, in big spots, maybe maybe you can get away with sending Nick Sandlin back to AAA and stretching him out a little bit and making him a starter because depth is kind of thin in terms of experience. Because he's already, I would he already had injuries. I would think more just like okay, Cal, like I don't have innings for you besides mop-up duty. We're going to throw you in the starting rotation see what you can do with three or four starts before we move you back to the bullpen. I know that might not be ideal because it's all different arm conditioning, but you still got to get the innings at the same time, and he's more hypothetically a starter currently than what Sandlin would be. Yeah, I guess like given that Henches is still a little bit iffy right now, I guess maybe you can save – this at least allows you to save Quantrill. Like you can – you can almost piggyback those two, right? And that way, Quantrill is still kind of stretched out as a starter or like a, a three-inning guy. If you can get, if you can manage to get three innings from Henches, because um, I, I really, like I said, I still am not sure. The fastball doesn't miss enough bats and he doesn't have enough command of the curveball. But if he can skate, if he can slide th- through three innings and then Quantrill can give you two, maybe you continue with that, that and then that keeps Quantrill pitching every fifth day and um, that's how you get his innings. Like you almost have a, a long man out there. Maybe that gives him a role, but you're right. I think Nick Sandlin's presence, if this continues to happen, and I know it's only been two outings, but 
the guy is good. He was a second round pick for the for a reason, right? And the stuff's there. I yeah, stuff's there. I, I don't see any reason. Just throw him out there. This is again, you already have two two of the youngest relievers in the league. Go out there and, and add Salem to it. See what happens. I like it. I, I think Salem looks great. Nick Wickram, by the way, 95, was throwing 95 this week. He looks good again. Uh, Shaw still throwing 95, 96. And James Karinchak, even though he gave up a home run this week. Uh, he and Class A, just that wow. bullpen, man. You know, you know what's amazing to me is that now that you add Sandlin to this, I think uh, I think everyone else, I think I know Zach and TJ have talked about it. Other people have talked about it. But, you know, you have you have 33-year-old Brian Shaw, Uncle Brian, Everybody else in that bullpen is a kid besides Literally Nick Literally a kid. That, and it's amazing that they are probably the best part of this team is the bullpen right now. And you would think that that would provide for some volatility. but And, it, and it, it's still May at times. But it's amazing that the maybe the youngest part of the team is, is probably the best portion of this team is that bullpen. Because I, I've said this a lot of times. Good bullpens can hide a lot of warts in your team. Only can score one or two runs a game. If your bullpen's lights out, you might win with a two-run game. Right. And that's that's impressive that this young group has been able to be that good. It's also a breath of fresh air because the Indians were very far behind on the eight-ball process of having the bullpens of what today are and just throwing out, you know, gunners that can throw gas. Um, I know we were very low on the context of pitch velocity out the bullpen for a long time. It's a breath of fresh air when you can just go out there and see Karen Jack and Sandlin and Classe, just seeing all these guys chucking 95 to 101 miles an hour. I mean, they have six guys out there that throw 95 and above. That's where baseball's at, man. That's that's where it's at, and those guys are good. Now, like I said, and that, that 95 and up group now now includes Brian Shaw, and it now includes Nick Wicker, and that's pretty amazing. Um, so, yeah, the light, there looks like there's some life in the offense right now. Uh, McKenzie bounced back. That's a good sign. The bullpen is just utterly ridiculous. And I think that's going to, I think the bullpen might keep the team in contention. Like, you know, Bieber's obviously Bieber. Police X gotten about over his, his issue with the white Sox. It looks like Savali has been, you know, good, not great. He's at least giving you a chance to win every time out. And, and some days he's a little bit better. I think the bullpen's going to keep this team in it, especially when you talk about having two starters who might only go four or five innings. This bullpen is that good. They can do it. And I got, you know, I got mad the other night that Brian Shaw and Karen Shack and Class A all were pitching in a, a four or five run game. Um, but I, I, other than the fact that he just pitches some guys way too often, I think the bullpen thing is, is one of the best things about Francona is that he always seems to make the most of his bullpens. As long as he's got good relievers, he usually manages manages to make it work. He's, he's got a lot of relievers I guess. who were underachievers for most of their careers to end up being good relievers with their stints in Cleveland. So he's always been able to manage bullpens pretty well. Yeah, I mean, he does run some guys on the ground, as we've seen with Shaw, Miller, and Allen. But you know what? Relievers are volatile, and you might not get a lot of life out of them. So when they're good and you have them, you got to pitch them because – in three or four years, they might stink. So, yeah. you know, get the best we're out the, of them. We're the you running can. backs of baseball. Right, exactly. Um, before we get to the rest of the questions, let's do this real quick. The Indians play the Reds this weekend. Uh, Tyler, It's Tyler Naquin's homecoming. 
I have no idea how good he's doing. I haven't like looked to see if he's continuous hot streak or not, but um, excited, you know, maybe he he'll feel at home dropping a ball in center field and <laughs> progressive field again. Thank God we, <laughs> um, thank God we saved those few hundred extra thousand dollars to bring that guy back. And Ben Campbell, yeah, boy, you would, hey, you bring back Tyler Aikman, you probably don't have Harold Ramirez. That's all I'm saying. That's all I'm saying. Uh, okay, so three with the Reds, then the Indians go out west. They have four at Seattle and three at, at the Angels. Um, they don't come back home until uh, they play Minnesota May 21st. So they have, yeah, oh, I'm sorry, they, they have the Cubs too. So they have Cincinnati and the Cubs, and then they go on the road for uh, seven at Seattle and L.A. So let me ask you, after they come home from that West Coast road trip, are the Indians still in first place on May 21st at the end of that road trip? It's either them or the White Sox. I think Kansas City's going to flame out. So I would say it's a 50-50 shot. I'm going to say yes. I'm going to say that as the, the season heats up, they're going to heat up a little bit. And um, the White Sox can't stay healthy. Like you said, Kansas City is Kansas City is even younger than the Indians because they keep bringing up young pitchers as well. And the Twins are just horrendous right now. And nobody cares about the Tigers because the Tigers look like crap. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and say they're going to at least have a share of first place by the time they end their first West Coast road trip. So um, Tyler Naquin that's is interesting. 11 for his last 43, which is for 256. But nine of those 11 hits have been singles. So the power is not there. He has one anymore. home run in his last 50 at-bats. So that tells me he's essentially a, a fourth outfielder. What? That sounds about right. <laughs> it's, it's, almost, it's almost like that's what he's done his whole career. That is what that's he's weird. done his whole career. It's, it's weird that the Indians didn't bring him back to be exactly who we thought he was, that the Reds did not turn him into Mike Trout. Weird. All right, Spencer, let's wrap this up with some questions. Um, Mark Leffel, a uh, loyal reader and subscriber of IBI, could Owen Miller learn to play first base with a couple hours of prep? Uh, yes, yeah. Owen Miller, I, I feel like, who cares? Owen Miller can hit. I don't care where he plays. Bring, uh, I'm, <laughs> he can hit. Dustin and I are very much both on the train of bring Owen Miller up. I I think Owen Miller would be super fun. Like, look at the Cubs the last couple of years. I, I, I'm, I'm not saying David Bodie is like a a great hitter. He's not like a you know a a starter on every team, but he's a nice player to have on your team who can hit a little bit and has some versatility. And the Cubs have moved Chris Bryant. Like the third, he plays third base, but he's played some outfield. He's played some first base because they did that to accommodate to get David Bodie's bat in the lineup occasionally because he's not a bad hitter. Um, the Indians could do the same thing. They're just not as I mean, obviously you're not going to you're not going to move uh, Jose Ramirez back to left field or anywhere else. But if Owen Miller can play some shortstop, and it's not like Andre Jimenez and Ahmed Rosario are setting the world on fire, even though they're better than uh, the, the artist formerly known as Frankie Lindor. Um, that's another topic we could get into all night. <laughs> just play, Even though they're better than him. Yeah, just play Owen Miller, and if he needs to go from being a first baseman to super utility, uh, and he hits, that's fun. And if we, you know, hypothetically, if we don't win very well this year, but we just prove that we won every trade, I mean, we, we basically won in the same aspect. Like, if we won the Lindor trade, <laughs> we won the Clevenger trade, and all these other trades, we kind of won still. Eventually, that maybe that adds up to a win on the field. Eventually, yeah. Um, but bragging rights is second most important. 
So, absolutely. When when the trade and everything follows, exactly. I'm, I'm down with that. All right, so we got to Mark's question. Thanks, Mark. We did VJ Goff's question. We answered Glenn Glenn Longwell's question about pool holes, which I'm surprised at my own answer on that. Um, Flutorius, would it be crazy for the tribe to extend Jose? There's more money on the table for Lindor, apparently, with almost three years of control. The team has leverage. Six six years, 150 would do it. Um, I don't think six years, 150 would take care of it. I don't. I don't think that's enough. Um, it's got to be a little bit more. I'm thinking it's probably going to be more like six years. 200 mil. Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, again, Flutorius makes a great point. We're, we are led to believe that the Indians were willing to offer Francisco Lindor $200 million. That's That's what they're trying to tell us. And if that's the case, are the Indians, if he's turned it down, that are the Indians in the market to do a contract extension finally to allow for someone to play when they're like 35, 36, 37 years old? Well, if that money, if they were willing to, to pay Francisco Lindor that money, that means that money's not being spent that they, they were willing to spend. So why not Jose Ramirez? Right. I mean, Jose Ramirez is, is a far superior player to Francisco Lindor. You're all not, not, even, not even a question. So I'm, I'm very much in the contract extend Jose Ramirez, but I'm also in the aspect of contract extend Shane Bieber. So, but guess what's going to, I mean, with this particular ownership that you have, you're not, I can tell you right now, the unfortunate circumstances, you're not going to get to be able to extend both. Well, Jose has said that he supposedly Jose has not been interested in extension. I think that has to do with the fact that he has such an under market deal now that he doesn't want to get taken advantage of again. Yeah, so I, I think I that's going to be if I finished in the if I finished second in MVP multiple years and I'm on pace for the do that again, yeah, I'm going to go get my values worth in the American League or the National League and get, you know, one of the bigger markets to be able to pay me a ridiculous amount of money. Know you know your value. He does. No, I mean, he deserves that. The thing is, they should have reworked his contract already. They should have said, hey, you're performing better than we thought at the time he signed you to this deal. Let's let's make another extension. Let's not rip it up, but let's let's add on to it out of good faith. That would have given them some leverage by doing that to say, let's let's do in good faith, bump your salary up a little bit. I I think I don't think they'd be crazy to do it, but I don't I think the time has passed for the opportunity to, I don't, I don't, I don't foresee an extension for Ramirez or Bieber, sadly. Yeah. It sucks. Yep. So I'm kind of on the same aspect of that, uh, that answer. Um, Robert Rosenthal, uh, any update on Ethan Hankins? Unfortunately, uh, Ethan Hankins, I believe he has had either two or three opinions on his elbow. Um, if you're, if you're seeking a second and third opinion on your elbow, it's not good. that's probably not a great sign. No. If, uh, I, I would be surprised if he does not have Tommy John, maybe I'm not saying he will, but I'll be, I, if he does not have Tommy John at this point, it will be a pleasant surprise that he avoided it. That's all I got. Here's the last one, Spencer, uh, at Nunzo, Nunzio Izzo on Twitter, who's been a really good follower and a big minor league baseball fan. Uh, Tito turned to Sandlin. We kind of answered this already, but Tito turned to Sandlin to fight him and roll in the sixth inning. Two on, no out. Tells you all you need to know about the confidence placed in him. He rewarded that confidence. 
do you expect to see more of him in that five man priority bullpen rotation yeah. thoughts? Yes. Uh, yes. Yes. That's my answer. <laughs> Spencer's a fan. Spencer's a fan. I, I agree. I, we, we did say that earlier. We did say that uh, we think that because he did so well today, he'll get another shot at it and he might run with it. Who knows? Um, the guy's good. He's just good. And the next guy I can't wait to see is Nick Mikulajic, by the way, who had an inning and two thirds tonight and had five batters. strikeouts. <laughs> and and he looks like Mike Clevenger out there. He has that weird little uh, hitch in his delivery, and it's not quite as violent, but he throws 95. He has a big loopy slider, has the long hair, uh, has the fiery attitude. I'm, I'm here for it. Uh, more young guys in this bullpen is fun. Uh, Spencer, anything you want to close it before we get out of here? Uh, no, uh, it feels good to be in first place. Yeah, uh, we, the couple, first couple podcasts this year were not good. It was frustrating. It was uh, negative and it was tough to talk about at times. And all you could say was, look, it's, it's the first week of May. I think we talked, I think the last time we talked was April 23rd. And all you could say was, look, it's early. It's a young team. It's going to require some patience. And there's, look, there's still going to be streaks. This is going to be a streaky team. There's a good chance they're going to go out and lose four in a row again at some point. Um, it wouldn't shock me, but you know, enjoy the highs and hope that there are some good learning experiences in the lows. If there are some nights where thing, things don't look so good, hope there's some growth from from a nailer from uh, from the pitching staff from Jimenez or Rosario or anybody else. You know, hope there's some growth there. Um, yeah, follow us on Twitter again, JL underscore baseball, ask Carlson 29, the official underscore IBI, um, subscribe to the podcast, rate it. If you can, everyone keeps asking for subscribe to the podcast and rate it. If you like the podcast, give us a review that would help us out a lot. Um, yeah, appreciate you guys listening and then, uh, subscribe to IBI. Uh, we had our first in-person report tonight in Akron. It was Caleb Phillips. He was on the scene in Akron tonight, and we're going to have game reports. Again, minor league baseball is back, and that means you're going to have me, uh, Pat, Tyler, uh, Caleb, Jacob, and Stacy at Clippers games, at Akron games, at Lake County Captains games, and we're going to have reports from every game we attend. Those are all for insiders only, so if you want to see what's going on every night at the ballpark in the Indians minor league system, and trust me, you do, because... This first week alone has been incredibly fun to follow. Maybe it's because there was no minor league baseball last year, but um, the system, I think, is ready to explode. And it's been fun the first week. So if you want to get in on the action, you want to enjoy reading about, um, you know, how Tyler Freeman's doing, how Daniel Espino's doing, um, Logan Allen, the other Logan Allen, who had eight strikeouts in five innings last night in his pro debut. If you want to see how those guys are doing, Best way to do that is to sign up for an IBI subscription. It's $4.99 a month. Uh, no commitment. You can read anything we write on the site. That's also going to include MLB draft coverage, which Willie Hood's going to have real soon. He just updated his uh, top 150. The draft looks fun this year. So get in on all that. Um, or just read, you know, get on there and read whatever's free. We got plenty of free content as well. Uh, Spencer, thanks for doing this with me so late. This was fun. Always good to talk ball with you. Let's do it again next week. Wow.